0: I want to live to see my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids. You know, I want to see my descendants and, and enjoy them and live a full life where I can, can interact with them and be, you know,
1: cognitively sharp. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging Podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. This episode is brought to you in association with Amazentis, a Swiss life science company that's pioneering cutting-edge clinically validated cellular nutrition under its Timeline brand. Now, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. The quote attributed to Hippocrates, the Greek physician, sometimes described as the founder of Western medicine. That quote is often associated with the health benefits of a balanced diet and the rejuvenating power of food. Well, we're going to delve into that subject during this episode and find out more about a chemical compounds known as phytochemicals, where we get them from and why they help us to stay healthy. I'm joined by Dr. Navindra serum one of the world's leading experts in the science of plant foods and and natural products. We're going to discuss why foods rich in certain compounds are hugely beneficial in preventing some chronic conditions and explain the concept of using plants as a first line of defense against harmful diseases. Dr. Serum is a professor at the College of Pharmacy at the University of Rhode Island here in the United States. Navindra, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Hey, Peter, thank you for having me. It's great to talk to you. Difficult times that we're going through at the moment. I know everyone is working extremely hard, just getting used to a new way of working because of the coronavirus. So I I do appreciate you making time. Absolutely, Peter. We have to adapt, right? This isn't going to be over quickly, is it? So we, we've got to find that new way of, of working. And you and I are talking, obviously, remotely at the moment. And uh, it is amazing to me, isn't it, what we can do if we set our minds to it? Hey, just like plants, you know, we adapt, we we co-evolve, we, we figure out
0: ways to to make things work. Necessity is the mother of invention, after all, Peter.
1: Yeah, I quite agree. Before we delve into the science, I mentioned in the introduction that this episode is produced in association with Amazentis, and I wanted to give you an opportunity for the purposes of full disclosure for both of us to talk about your involvement with the company and the work that they're doing. Yes, Peter, thank you for clarifying that. Um, as, as you
0: mentioned, I'm a professor at the University of Rhode Island. I'm also the department chair for the Biomedical and Pharmaceutical Sciences Department. But um, I also serve uh, on the scientific advisory board independently from the university um, for Amazentis.
1: Maybe let's talk uh, a little bit about your background. First of all, I'm curious how you became interested in this area of science to start with. So, Peter, I'm a third
0: generation East Indian. I was born and I grew up in the uh, uh, South American country uh, known then as British Guayana, um now known as Guyana. Um, I am a third generation a East Indian, so my ancestors were brought from India uh, to work in the sugar plantations after slavery was abolished as indentured servants. So growing up in a very poor third world country um, such as Guyana, uh, we had to resort to what mom and grandma uh would would tell us to use as sources of medicines you know pharmacies and and physicians was wasn't that healthcare was not as accessible um in Guyana as it is here in the United States so as a very young kid uh, growing up a young child growing up i was very piqued by the by the traditional systems of medicines that was practiced you know in india um by the natives in guyana uh, and therefore you know youth, utilization of plants um for preventing toothaches and tummy aches and and so on
1: yeah, I was actually just going to ask you if you can think of some examples maybe from your childhood as to where plants would, would come in and it almost became second nature to to turn to a plant if you had a, a toothache or if you had a, a bruise on your hand or a little cut, uh, th- things that you might have instinctively used as medications. Exactly. In fact, you know, even toothbrushes, we didn't have
0: toothbrushes at one point and, and you know, we'll take a black sage and, you know, we'll take it and, and, and rub it on your teeth and your gums. So there was a lot of different plants that mom and grandma would said to use and you know in fact Peter you probably know this but the WHO you know estimates that over 80% of the world's population still
1: use plants as sources of medicines in, in all parts of the world my recollection from my childhood is when I grew up in northeast England and uh, or in a rural environment and if I was stung by a nettle I would immediately reach for a dandelion leaf to, to rub on that, that swelling on my hand and the, the pain would go away instantly. And it's also interesting,
0: you know, Peter, that, um, you know, it's not only the things which you don't think about um, in, in terms of plants, stuff that, that, are, that are non-edible. But there's so much in our medicine um, in terms of our, our spice cabinets, you know, garlic and chives and, 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 and cumin and oregano and, and basil. And, and there was tons of stuff that mom and grandma would say, boil this, drink this, drink it as a tea or as a tincture or use it topically. So very, very fascinating when you think about plants and how they produce these phytochemicals, as you mentioned.
1: It is fascinating. So uh, you were obviously hooked as a child in terms of your interest in, in this area. How did that evolve in terms of your education? Right, Peter. So the University of Guyana,
0: which is the only university that we have in terms of tertiary education, I went there and I got my, my bachelor's in chemistry. And at that point, I realized that for me to pursue, you know, further discovery of natural products from plants that I had to go to grad school. And it turns out that in the beautiful island of Jamaica, Uh, in Kingston, Jamaica, uh, there is the University of the West Indies, and they have and still do one of the best uh, uh, programs, PhD programs in natural product chemistry. So I journeyed, I was uh, a young, I think just uh, finished college, 20, 21 years old, Uh, went over to Jamaica, taught in a high school for a couple of years, and then went to grad school and continued on with my uh, my graduate studies and did my PhD there in, in Jamaica.
1: And eventually found your way to Michigan State University. I did, Peter. But um, one impo- important point, I think, you
0: know, sometimes your, I don't know, your career chooses you or you choose your career. I don't know which, which comes first. Is a chicken and the egg. But during my time uh, finishing up my PhD, I work in forensic sciences in Jamaica. And it's interesting when you work in forensics, it's not only looking at drugs and arson cases, but also toxicology cases of, of, uh, of poisons or, or drug overdoses in, in humans. And therefore, my interest uh, as a natural product chemist um, was not only about what's in the plants, but because of my you know, exposure to forensic science, kind of started wondering, you know, well, what happens when these phytochemicals get into the body? Um, just like toxins or poisons would do or, or dietary phytochemicals, what happens. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, by the time I hit Michigan for my, uh, Michigan State University for my postdoc and then, um, went on after that, that kind of. Uh, I don't know, the, the convergence or the, you know, the coming together of the different ideas and curiosities that you have kind of molds
1: you in your career as you move forward. That's interesting because that, that is what science is all about, isn't it? It isn't just one thing. It's how different aspects of our lives and the natural world converge with each other. Correct, Peter. And it's so interdisciplinary right now. As you
0: know, you know, Science, you know, there is no chemist uh, or biochemist anymore. We all kind of converge and we cross cross fertilize. And I, I think, you know, with, with for for me personally, you know, my 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 background, you know, my ethnicity, my West Indian, East Indian kind of mix, my uh, my moving to the United States to be exposed to cutting edge instrumentation, kind of shaped my career and still continues, you know, in the future uh, as I as I move along this pathway.
1: I was interested in Michigan, you studied the properties of tart cherries. And a lot of people today will swear on the use of, of tart cherries for many, many reasons, including getting a good night's sleep. Correct. Um,
0: so I did my postdoc with a very esteemed natural product chemist, I'm Nair, Professor Nair. And at that time, I still think, still up to today, Michigan, the state of Michigan, is the largest uh, producer and grower of tart cherries in the United States. So my, my postdoc project was, you know, working on the anthocyanins or the pigments which make cherries red um, and blueberries blue or strawberries red and pomegranates red. And, and, and the anthocyanins, um, it turns out in tart cherries are, are very uh, effective anti-inflammatory agents and and tart cherries are widely used for gout and arthritis and, and inflammation. And um, it just kind of made sense that it was the pigments in tart cherries that are actually partially responsible for some of those effects.
1: You mentioned, just going off a little tangent here, which is, is something I, I often do, but you mentioned the colour of, of different fruits. Why, and we hear so much, of course, these days about having a, a colourful salad as being beneficial to us. Why is the colour of a fruit or a, a vegetable so important? Important. Now, I'm going to go off to a tangent, Peter, if you'll just indulge
0: me for a second. Please here. Do. <laughs> So it turns out, and I, I don't, don't quote me on this, but it turns out that humans and birds... Um, we're able to distinguish trichromatic. We're able to see a colorful berry against a dark leaf, green background. And um, you know, when I came to URI, I actually did a very cool uh, collaboration with a fantastic scientist here from Natural Resources, Scott Mac Williams, and uh, we looked at migratory birds that would fly you know when they're moving off you know coming from north, going south uh, to Block Island, which is a small island off the coast of of, um, of the New England area. And it turns out that birds, just like
1: humans, would stop and we'll continue this conversation in just a moment.
0: Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? on Block Island, and they were able to, at this time of the year, there's not much insects for them to eat. So they would would consume large quantities of berries, and they're able to distinguish and choose and select the more colorful ones. And I think our hypothesis, and still we're investigating it, is that the potential beneficial compounds from the berries um, that the birds would get and we do get kind of protects them, you know, their, their muscle and the inflammation that they're enduring as they fly, you know, their super athletes. So for humans, I think, you know, as I just mentioned, you know, we co-evolved with plants and maybe plants selected us to eat their colorful berries so that we could cultivate them. And we selected plants to grow them for their colorful berries so we could derive those health beneficial compounds that they produce. I don't know. It's a chicken and the egg again, but it's very fascinating when you think, um, when, when you think about that really close relationship we have with plants.
1: Well, it is, it is fascinating in a sense to see how we have evolved and how birds have evolved to have that almost that sixth sense to appreciate that different colours are beneficial for us.
0: Correct. Fascinating.
1: So let's let's talk about phytochemicals. We've mentioned phytochemicals already, but let's delve into the science a little bit more. What exactly are they? So phyto means
0: plant. Uh, it's a Latin word meaning plant. So phytochemicals are plant chemicals. Now, people don't like chemicals. They think chemicals are synthetic and bad for you. So there is a term that's coined phytonutrients. And it's used alternatively uh, to to refer to phytochemicals. But these compounds that plants produce are non-nutrients. In other words, plants plants, uh, produce, and we know a plant diet is very healthy for us because it's good fiber, um, vitamins are there, some minerals are there, um, maybe some good fats are there. Uh, But the compounds, these phytochemicals, are secondary metabolites that the plants produce and they vary within the plant kingdom. Certain plants within a certain genus or certain types, like the cruciferous, the cabbage family, they produce a similar type of compounds or the berries will produce a similar type of phytochemicals. So the the thought is that these phytochemicals are produced by the plant to give the plant a competitive advantage. So maybe I'm colorful, eat me, disperse of my seeds or cultivate me, or I'm toxic, stay away from me. Right. Stay away. Do not eat my do not eat my leaves herbivores or you're going to die because, you know, I need my leaves. So um, we don't know why the plants produce them, but for, for sure, you know, the edible ones, the edible phytochemicals or the so-called quote unquote phytonutrients we know are potentially beneficial for us.
1: So just to be clear and just to pass out the science that you've just been discussing there, when we say that they are secondary metabolites, in, in other words, they are not macronutrients like fat, protein, um, fiber, vitamins, that uh, people are very familiar with, yet they are still hugely important. Correct. So they are not macronutrients or micronutrients,
0: as you just uh, clarified. These are not fats and carbohydrates and proteins and fiber or or vitamins and minerals. They are actually secondary metabolites, so they're not primary metabolites. They are produced, again, by plants in certain cases to potentially give the plants a biological uh, uh, competitive advantage. And humans potentially, by eating these compounds, can get uh, a beneficial health, beneficial effect also.
1: So when we uh, talk about deriving, essentially deriving drugs from natural sources like plants, what kind of medicinal compounds, and maybe historically, what kind of medicinal compounds are we talking about that are beneficial to us? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. So
0: phytopharmaceuticals are those drugs which were upst- obtained from plants. And as you know, I work, uh, I, I teach in the College of Pharmacy. There is a discipline called pharmacognosy. And if you have not heard that word before, pharmacognosy is the quote-unquote mother of pharmacy. It is where pharmacy started, where humans uh, were learning how to take extracts from plants, um, their leaves, grind them up, and actually use these for medicinal purposes. And as, as Eastern medicine and Western medicine kind of moved over time in the during the Renaissance period, um, and that's Hippocrates, as you mentioned, and many other uh, great scholars, uh, humans started to, to, to figure out that by isolating individual compounds from plants, that these could be developed into drugs. Very good examples. Um, aspirin, uh, you know, that little pill that's been around for 100 years, uh, is actually a derivative of salicylic acid, which is found in the bark of the willow. And, uh, in medieval, in medieval England, um, when they, you know, they would chew on the bark of the willow and pain would go away, inflammation would go away. And it was, you know, late, later that scientists at Merck isolated salicylic acid, derivatized it, and then aspirin was born. Similarly, there are other drugs like digoxin, a cardiac glycoside from, from the digitalis plant. Um, there's caffeine from coffee or tea. Um, there is, a uh, Cancer drugs, uh, vincristine and vinblastine from the Madagascar periwinkle, nicotine, uh, artemisinin for anti-malaria, quinine, and the list continues. Tobacco, um, nicotine, right from the tobacco plant. So tons of tons of medicinal compounds. Um, of course, toxic ones too. Uh, I, I should clarify um stimulants um uh, hallucinogenic compounds uh, psychedelic compounds the list just is mind boggling we are literally talking about thousands aren't we thousands thousands and we're still discovering more and you know it's interesting that the the compounds exist naturally within the matrix of the plant and sometimes when we cook the plant or 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 it like in a beverage or extract it we actually modify and change some of these compounds too So it's not only what's in the plant naturally itself. It's also what we modify when we crush a garlic clove, for example. And so it's also how we consume them. And then it's also what
1: happens when it gets into the body, right? Um, as, as we referred to earlier. And uh, as you imply there, it, it can sometimes be only certain parts of the plant. It isn't necessarily the, the whole plant that is going to be beneficial to us. And I guess that's where the science is important to identify which part of the plant, whether it's the, the seed or the pith or the, the skin, presumably, Correct. that is Co- most valuable to us. Correct, Peter. The, 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 the
0: compounds could be tissue specific. So what, is in the fruit may not be what is in the leaves or what is in the bark, like a cancer drug called Taxol, taxol is in the bark of the Pacific U. That's another good example of a phytopharmaceutical. But yeah, you're right. So a fruit may be edible and the leaf may be uh, toxic of the same plant. Um, there could be overlap or there could be... Um, entirely distinct
1: in, in what they in what they contain. And I mention that because people talk a lot about whole foods and there's, I think there's a, a great value in talking about whole foods being beneficial to us. But we do need to know and understand the science to get the most benefit out of what we're eating because we could be misguided, I think sometimes perhaps in eating too much of a wrong kind of plant or too much of a certain kind of Plant and uh, I mean I'll give one little example. I went through a phase in my life because I thought and I believe still that almonds are, are very good for you. Nuts generally are good for you. If you eat too many almonds perhaps you might be getting too much of a certain compound that can result in kidney stones yeah you've got to be careful and and that's where education is so important isn't it correct yeah in
0: fact almonds contain a compound called amygdalin amygdalin is a cyanide containing molecule it's found in certain um, other plants like uh, like like yucca or cassava and in africa and in south america where i grew up you know mom they would boil cassava and throw away the water before consuming the cassava so that we kind of figured out how to get rid of the non-toxic stuff from foods um very fascinating when you think of pharmacognosy and the evolution of traditional systems of medicine like TCM traditional chinese medicine or ayurveda the indian system of medicine and how we practice western medicine um you know with with the traditional systems of of medicine being very personalized and um, you know, with, with meditation being a part of it and a healthy lifestyle and, and exercise, it's very holistic. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole food as well as a holistic approach to health and to your, your, your show here, uh, Peter Lama, you know, it, you, you know, all about the health span and the lifespan. And I'm speaking to the expert right now.
1: Well, that's very kind of you. That is exactly what we are all about. Living long and health span is the phrase that I use all the time. Of course, uh, living as long as possible, just optimizing the number of healthy years that we have. That's right, Peter. Let's talk about pomegranates. You have written a book about pomegranates. You you mentioned them earlier. And very, very coincidentally to this interview, I today just ordered three pomegranate trees for my garden, happened to be doing a bit of landscaping because we were hit by a a fire a few months ago, a California wildfire. So replacing a few trees and pomegranates actually survive very well in Southern California. The climate really suits them. So I've got a special interest in in pomegranates for for maybe more than one reason. But um, you are an expert in terms of their medicinal qualities. What drew you to them as something that you wanted to study? Yes
0: Peter so as 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 we mentioned you know I finished my postdoc at Michigan State I was working with tart cherries and then I um I moved to uh, UCLA University of California Los Angeles right in your backyard I think uh, Peter um I worked with a very famous uh, uh um physician he's also a PhD David Heber and at that time you know as you just mentioned you know pom- pomegranates were were really hitting you know, the U- United States, um, big time. So as we all know, or we may not know, it's really a, a Mediterranean plant. It's, uh, it's from Persia. That's where it was uh, originally grown. And because California has its beautiful Mediterranean temperature, pomegranates grew very well in, in the beautiful state of California. And, um, Palm Wonderful, a company at that time that was producing, uh, pomegranate juice uh squeezing the whole pomegranate fruit, um, you know, we're we're very interested, you know, with, with our group at that time in kind of understanding, you know, what were the health benefits of uh of pomegranate juice. And so that was where our work really started um in terms of understanding the chemistry of of what's uh, present in pomegranate juice
1: as well as um you know what happens when the compounds get into the body. And there's a long history, of course, and uh, pomegranates are mentioned uh, in many religions. The records of their use go back centuries. Yes, it's mentioned in all
0: of the holy books, in the Bible, in the Quran, in the Torah, it's supposedly the apple in the Garden of Eden. You know, it's it's regarded as a king of fruits. It has a crown on on, on it as you think about. You know, when you look at a at a pomegranate. It's the only uh species in its family. So the plant itself, it's the only member in its whole family. So that's pretty interesting. Also, a punica granatum. It means like a grenade. A grenade. And if you were to cut a pomegranate open, you'll see the juicy sacs of those arils, uh, the edible part of the fleshy coat around the seeds, which if you were to eat those, um, you'll consume these anthocyanins, which are the compounds we mentioned earlier found in, in, in cherries and berries. But it's also interesting when you look at the chemistry of the pomegranate that the pith. So if you were to cut it open, that white part of the, f- of the fruit, as well as its peel or its husk, that leathery rind, also contains a large quantity of polyphenols that are known as elagitanins. And therefore, if you were to squeeze a whole pomegranate fruit to extract its juice, you're actually squeezing out, you know, not only the anthocyanins, um, to give it a, that beautiful red color, but also these elagitanins or polyphenols you know, found in the, in the peel of the fruit.
1: So it is a good example then of the entire fruit being beneficial to us and, and different qualities depending on whether we're talking about the, the pith or the, the juice, uh, depending on how it's used. Correct. Um, and you could
0: imagine um, one would not eat a pomegranate rind. It's bitter. But you know, imagine squeezing a whole orange. So compounds in the f- in the peel of that whole orange would also be extracted into orange juice. I think it's a similar analogy here. And whilst we may think that pomegranate peel may not be edible, um, the, the the Indian system of medicine Ayurveda, they would use anardana, uh, the spice that was obtained from pomegranate seeds and also its rind. Um, and I've also heard anecdotally that if you were to go to certain parts of Turkey and Middle East and countries, um, Persia, they, they would take the pomegranate fruit and then they would kind of massage it and soften it to a point where they could stick a straw into it and then drink that juice. So, you know, they're consuming what's in the peel into that juice if you kind of soften and, and roll that fruit around.
1: So let's just uh, extrapolate a little bit then in terms of what happens when we eat a pomegranate and why and how it is beneficial to us? Because we all respond in different ways, depending on what's going on in our guts. And we're all different as, as human beings. So how are we benefiting and scientifically what, what is going on when we eat a pomegranate?
0: Correct. Um, so, Peter... As a pharmacy professor, you know we teach our students, uh, our pharmacists about ADME, and you know pharmaceutical science students about ADME, ADME: A being absorption, D distribution, M metabolism, and E excretion. And when you think of drugs or xenobiotics or foreign substances that enters the body into your through your mouth as it gets into your stomach, you know these compounds are are actually exposed to high pH. Uh, I should say high, low pH, high acidity. And many of the compounds just degrade um, into and, and are broken down into smaller molecules, which are then absorbed and gets into circulation. And then they're distributed and metabolized by the liver enzymes. So what may end up into the bloodstream may not be what's actually in the fruit itself as well as you just alluded to, compounds that are then traversing from the stomach and getting into the small and then large intestine. And they would sit in the large intestine for a while, and then they're further now metabolized by gut microbiota, the gut microflora. I think the last I've heard, there's over a 100 trillion different types, uh, uh, not species, but a lot of bacteria in your gut and which depends on, on an individual. So that's a mind blowing number, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. I, and as, and as, as people know, you know, you, if your gut is not right, then you're not right. And, um, you know, with inter individual variability, not only in genetic polymorphisms, but also in your gut microbiota composition, you could imagine that one could probably, probably, you know, break down these compounds differently than, than your twin would, you know, or, or your, your brother would. So
1: fascinating. And the, the, the impact on owners can be whole body, including the brain.
0: Correct. Because once the compounds are metabolized, um, into different sizes and different forms, some of them can actually cross the BBB, the blood brain barrier, which is this thick waxy layer that protects the brain, you know, from circulation. So some compounds could, could get into the brain. They could get into other tissues of the body. Um, you could excrete them and pass them into your urine and feces. And you could get into this, what's called enterohepatic circulation to where from the colon, the compounds are, are absorbed into circulation, converted again by the liver enzymes. And then this continuous flux of, of compounds circulating. If you're consuming, you know, pomegranate juice, for example, you know, regularly or, or green tea regularly or red wine regularly or eating your nuts and berries regularly.
1: So let's get to the heart of the matter with urolithin A, which, which you've mentioned, but let's delve into that in a little bit more detail. And it's one of the metabolites that we can get from pomegranates and we need the right bacteria to reap the rewards. Can you explain the process? Yes. So um,
0: the dilemma that we had And we still do as, as a field in, in, in our, as a scientist in the field of polyphenol chemistry is sometimes we cannot explain the physiological, um, effects based on levels of compounds you'll find in circulation. So in other words, you know, polyphenols, elagitanins included, are generally regarded as being very poorly bioavailable, meaning that the compounds are not being absorbed into blood in large quantities. physiological level uh, um, relevant levels to, to see a biological effect so the dilemma is well if what's in the fruit is not getting into the blood then what's responsible for the health benefit or the health beneficial effects of what is known for the for the fruit And the urolithins uh, include a, a host of, of urolithins. Um, one of them is urolithin A. There's also urolithin B, C, D, and so on. Urolithin A is, is the most abundant and, um, and prevalent among the urolithins. But again, you know, if you do not have the microbes which are, are able to do that conversion, then you wouldn't be a responder or a producer of your lithins, if if that makes sense. So we're not all responders then. We're not all responders. So it's, it's interesting. I know I'm a responder because it turns out. You know, in some of our earlier studies, um, I'm able to detect urolithins, you know, in my urine using mass spec methods, um, if I consume pomegranate. But no, we're not all responders. You have to have that gut microbe, that, that the microbes that do the conversion. And we don't know what percentage of people are responders and who are not. And we don't even know if a non-responder can become a responder. If you consume foods over time, so there's a lot of unknowns about your lithians, um present in humans from the consumption of the lagitanian rich foods.
1: And is it black and white? You're either a responder or not, or can there be gradients? Can you be a partial responder?
0: Yes, yeah, it's, it's 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 very it's. You could be a responder or not, and you could be a responder that produces some types of urolithins and not. So <laughs> I, you know, I, I think what needs to happen is a really large clinical study that really looks at people with different, you know, um consuming the Lagitanians, and, and then you really trying to understand how much we produce what we produce, who is a responder and who is not
1: a lot, a lot of and unknowns in terms of testing to find out if we are a responder what does that involve well it it would involve as I just
0: mentioned you know collecting some urine samples after you've consumed the lagitanian rich food right. Or pomegranate in this case, and then, and then finding the urolithin glucuronidated form because it's excreted in, you know, in your urine. Um, also, there are some blood samples that has been, um, people are looking at. I know, um, um, we'll talk about this later. Amazentis, a company, the Swiss biotech company, they have, they're developing methods to actually Diagnose and and find out quickly if you're
1: if you're producing urolithins or not. Just to um, talk a little bit more about the benefits of, u- of urolithin A, it's mitochondrial health that is is so crucial. And of course, mitochondrial health is vital for all of us every day in terms of our energy.
0: Correct. So the mitochondria is a power powerhouse of the cell, and um, urolithin A is actually an activator of mitophagy. So it, it actually. Um, helps the recycling of dead mi- mitochondria and then improves in you know, cellular function, which has been shown, you know, in several studies in, 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 worms, in nematodes, C. elegans, and also in, in rodents. And, and there's some emerging human clinical studies to also support the effects of urolithin A in, in muscle function.
1: And that's why it sometimes gets the label anti-aging. And that's an expression I don't like because I don't believe in anti-aging. I think uh, positive aging is perhaps a a more useful expression or simply aging well. But nevertheless, anti-aging because we can be 70 years old and have good muscle strength and perhaps feel like we're 50 years old. And mitochondria are obviously crucial in that process. You're right, Peter. That's correct. So... Let's move on to, and you mentioned the work that Amazentis are doing and the product MitoPure Urolithin A. What is the distinction between a highly pure and proprietary form of Urolithin A and the Urolithin A that we've just been talking about?
0: Right. So, um, as I mentioned, Amazentis is a Swiss biotech company. And, you know, when we started, you know, talking about more than 10 years ago, you know they were quite interested in in what were the health benefits um, of, of what's in pomegranate. And as they narrowed down and, and looked at urolithin A and have published, you know, some really good papers um, on the compound, as I mentioned, in nematodes and in, in animals, in rodents, and also in humans, is that they have developed this mitopure, which is a proprietary formulation of urolithin A, which is highly bioavailable. The mitopure that's developed by um, Amazentis has been shown in in clinical studies to be effective, to be bioavailable, to be safe and tolerable in humans. So it's um, you know it's it's well tested. You know it's it's a it's an
1: effective product. And as a product, as a scientist, is it something that excites you for the future? It is because you know at the end of the day. You know,
0: if you want to get the best benefits from your foods and you have so much uncertainties in in what you're eating or how you're processing it, or are you able to produce it? Are you a responder or a non-responder? And there's so much unknowns because it's such personalized that the best bang for your buck is really to get to the actual compound, which is bioactive. And if there's a way that uh, you could consume MitoPure and then Get the benefits directly of your Lithium A, irregardless, irrespective of if you're a producer or not, or you just don't like pomegranate juice, or you just don't want to eat berries, or you want to supplement and you want to get bioactive levels of the compounds in a sufficient dose, then I think let's cut to the chase and get exactly to the bioactive compound. And that's what Amazentis is providing in their MyoPure product.
1: Yeah, and I ask that question because I and my views on supplementation have evolved over the years, and I used to be from the school of well, if we eat a, a balanced diet with good fruits and vegetables, organic foods wherever possible, that we are probably getting enough of everything that we need in terms of vitamins and minerals and proteins and fats and carbohydrates, that uh, we're probably going to be okay and that we don't need supplementation. Now, I've evolved to the point, and this conversation helps to explain how complex we are as human beings and how even with that, let's say, in quotes, perfect balanced diet, we may still not be fully benefiting from the natural foods. And therefore, as we understand further the science, the supplementation, it's almost like an insurance policy to fill in the gaps of what we're not getting from the natural world. That's right. You know, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there,
0: Peter. It's like an insurance policy because supplementation, dietary supplementation is meant to supplement, not to replace. And in, as you just said, indeed, you could be consuming a, a wholesome diet, But if you're not a responder, then you wouldn't be producing your Lithium A. And if your Lithium A is one of the constituents or one of the bioactive compounds that's formed in humans and we've shown that that has a a health benefit, then
1: supplement with it because you may not be getting it um, from your diet. I'd like to just maybe broaden the conversation out a little bit more now and get your thoughts on personalized medicine. In other words, medicine directed at an individual. And as you've explained, we are all supremely different in terms of how our bodies work. And there's a lot of talk these days about personalized medicine. How much do you think that is part of our future? I think it has to be
0: because, um, you know, there's no one size fits all. And as I alluded to earlier, the view of traditional systems of medicine like TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, or Ayurveda, you know, if you were to see a practitioner, they would actually look at you, Peter, and stick out your tongue and look at uh, your eyes, and and give you a, a diet that includes herbs and 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 other things, and 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 have it's it's really structured for you. It's for Peter Bowes. And I think we're finding now that that in in the in the field of drugs, at least in, in cancer, chemotherapeutic drugs, for example, where you may have certain genes that makes you more, you know, liable or prone to getting a certain predisposition to a certain type of cancer, um, and and drugs that may work for certain people and may not work for other people, um, and I think you could extend that personalized uh, n- n- precision medicine and personalized nutrition to what we're talking about with these phytochemicals. Because, again, because of our genetic uh, uh, predisposition, our polymorphisms, the stuff that we have in our gut, uh, the gut microbiota, maybe what's good for Peter Bowes is not what's good for Navindra Serum. Maybe I could eat green tea uh, and drink green tea and eat broccoli and, and eat pomegranates and I'm responding and I'm producing different things. And Peter Bowes just lacks those microflora and is not able to. And mm. so I think it's, it's very interesting again that therefore with what's happening with drugs, um, may also be the same for, for foods. And whilst we don't understand everything as yet, um, elagitanins are not the only compounds which are converted by gut microbiota into further metabolites. There are other classes of polyphenols that's been well known. Lignans, which are found like in flaxseed, even tea compounds in tea. So it's not, it's not, just elagitanins that go through this conversion by gut microbiota. It's other polyphenols also and other phytochemicals also. So we're really at the tip of the iceberg and there's so much that we do not know. What Amazentis has done here, advancing MitoPure to a point where we can actually consume the product, is really forging, I think, pushing the barriers forward faster. And I think this is just a trend that's going to have to happen as we understand more about what's really beneficial in the body and what's getting to the tissues and what's exactly we need, uh, which may be quite different from what's in the food itself.
1: I think one of the challenges ahead is going to be in terms of sharing the the value of this science with uh, populations at large, with society, is making the benefits and these supplementations affordable for A vast number of people, because that is one of, of course, the great ills of our society, that uh, a lot of diseases can be prevented en masse if only people could afford the foods and the medicines that can do that. We understand what's needed, we understand the science, but it's the availability to vast numbers of people that's increasingly important. Correct, because if even if you were a
0: responder to get back to our analogy of of doing exactly what you said there Peter you know you may not want to drink pomegranate juice because it has sugars and you may have diabetes and you don't want the calories and the sugar that's that's uh, that's 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 coming with that food itself or if you're eating the fruit and you don't want to eat the rind or maybe someone wants to take a, a pomegranate extract Um, You don't know if that extract is standardized. You don't know where it's coming from. It's not been clinically tested. So ultimately, exactly right. How do we get a bioactive compound to get to most people in a very convenient form, in a form that's calibrated and known to be bioavailable, affordable? Uh, And those are some of the things that we have to think of globally.
1: And I think one of the other challenges is is simply education, because we are oftentimes, more often than not indeed, look at television advertising bombarded with information about what is supposedly good for us, what's not good for us, what is affordable. And people, I think quite rightly, are often so deluged with information that they are confused about what they should be eating. And uh, for us to move forward and to benefit the most number of people, education really does have to be focused on advising people what they should eat and and why they should eat it correct peter you know education starts you
0: know i'm a professor i'm a teacher first and foremost as well as a researcher so it starts in the classroom it extends into the lab into my grad students and postdocs and it also entails me going to scientific meetings and presenting not only to my peers but also to the lay persons too to, to trade meetings, to dietitian meetings, to, to, to meetings which, you know, we, we, we wouldn't be able to get to the masses doing podcasts such as yours right, right now, Peter. So we're educating the folks who are listening uh, listening in. And, and I, I have to admit, you know, we don't have all the answers. Um, we're still learning. But what we know now is more than we know, more than we knew yesterday or 10 years ago. And what we'll know 10 years from now is more than we'll know today. So this is just a building logically on the next steps of what we're learning um, to ultimately get the bioactive constituents to humans to, to have them, you know, have a better health span and lifespan.
1: And this is why science and the funding of science is so important. It is. And you know, with with, without the
0: funding, you know, where do you get the money from to do these clinical studies? And I know I I, I'm I'm actually excited and 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 happy that you know a a company a biotech company like Amazentis can really push the boundaries faster and further than if we were to try to rely on just federal sources of funding. Um, you know, however we get to that point, you know, if it's pharmaceutical companies, if it's uh, biotech companies, if it's dietary supplement companies, if it's food companies, but, you know, the science is good, the science is peer reviewed, and it's been published and vetted. And therefore, it's good science. Good
1: science is good science. It doesn't matter where the funding comes from. And in the meantime, we we move forward with the knowledge that we have. And one of the rules of thumb that I often use when I don't fully understand the implications of eating a, a certain diet is to keep it simple. And I'm one of those people who have a really simple diet. And uh, I don't eat much meat, but I eat a lot of vegetables. And uh, if in doubt, leave it out is, is generally my motto when it comes to food i'm just curious as to what you do in terms of your own diet yeah
0: peter you you said it at the very start you know you are what you eat you know let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food i i'm a i'm a big big proponent of a a, a high plant-based diet uh I integrate a lot of fruit and vegetables in my diet. My wife, she's ethnic uh, Indian, like me, um, but West Indian. She grew up in Jamaica, so there's a lot of spices in our foods and curries and and hot pepper, capsaicin. I, I drink uh, a lot of coffee and red wine, moderately, of course. Um, but yes, you know, I, I I I try to educate my kids in in their palates in in what they were exposed to when they were kids, so that they can kind of learn and that. To enjoy the taste of good foods you know I, I came to uri you know about 11 years ago i started working in maple you know and trying to understand what's different with maple syrup it's another conversation for another day versus you know pancake syrup so the natural foods versus this you know these uh, processed foods so uh, you know you, you can never get it right but as you just said peter we try to keep it simple um you know, and
1: do the best that we can. And how much do you think about your own health span? I often ask that question to experts in the field of of longevity science, and it's it's always interesting to me the answer in terms of how people like you apply the science that you yourself are, are working on to your own life, perhaps with 30 or 40 years in the future in mind. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, Peter. Thank you for asking that. It's a very
0: personal question. As you know, I, am in my early fifties. Um, I just outlived my dad, you know, and, 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 you know, for, for, for males in my family growing up in a poor third world country, their lifespan is not much. You know, they, you know, there's no, um, dental care, health care, exercising, the diets that we know now, you know, is not what they were used to. And and so for me, you know, living longer than my dad has lived, you know, I I I I want to, I, I want to live to see my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids. You know, I want to see my descendants and and enjoy them and live a full life where I can can interact with them and be, you know, cognitively sharp. Um, it's okay if I don't remember where my car keys are. But to have those beautiful memories, and, 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 and for me, you know, that's what's important, because I, I think that everything that I can do right now
1: to give me that extra day to spend with my family is worth it. And I think that's a, a wonderful way to end this. Uh, Navindra serum. thank you very much. Really fascinating conversation. Peter, thank you for having me. It was really a pleasure talking to you too. And if you'd like to read more about Dr. Serum's work, I'll put the details in the show notes of this episode. You'll find them at the Live Long and Master Aging website. We use the acronym LAMA, so it's com, double L-A-M-A podcast.com. This episode... Of the Lama podcast was brought to you in association with amazentis a swiss life science company pioneering cutting-edge clinically validated cellular nutrition under its timeline brand and if you enjoy what we do you can rate and review us at apple podcasts you can follow us in social media at llama podcast and you can direct message me at peter Bose. many thanks for listening